0: So let's talk a bit about relationships. Here's a concept for you. People are so important to them that they collect people as their commodity, like we collect stuff and money. And that's a very important realization for you. This whole thing about how many friends do you have on Facebook? I mean, people are kind of stunned. I have, I don't know, three or four hundred, and people are like, why don't you have thousands? You know, well, I'm fine with mine. I haven't I've chosen to not go back to high school and college. I really don't. Care to go there? To be honest with you, with with the Facebook thing. But if you have and you like it, that's fine. You go for it. But you know, I collect stuff. I collect nativities from around the world, and collect uh, eagles from around the world, and collect hummels because my mom did, and uh, it's cool. I don't collect people. People aren't some something, amen. But for this generation, they are something they collect um, because of social media and texting and the quick pace that these kids are living in. Their relationships tend to be rather superficial, and they are in need of friendship skills. They don't know except to cut and run. They delete a friend on Facebook rather than try to understand what was going on and the whole issue of compromising and and conflict management. So um, if you're interested in that, we actually teach, we have a curriculum on friendship skills that we're selling downstairs that you can look at. Many are not vulnerable, many are not transparent, and they can get used to trivial talk. So even a lot of parents and grandparents are frustrated, even more so than they used to be, at the inability and the unwillingness of their own children and grandchildren to talk about what went on at school that day. Um, They're very used to the, the texting superficial. And this is an issue, again, we talked about earlier about sin and their relationship with God their father. Are they going to be superficial and and non-transparent and non-vulnerable, even with a pastor? Um, Accountability groups, it's like you talk to kids about accountability partners, they're like, what's that? You know, Why would I want something like that? Um, Social networking sites, as we said earlier, can also give them the sense that they're the center of the universe. So not only do you have this um, uh, lack of vulnerability and transparency and just this trivial, superficial stuff, but you couple that with the center of the universe, and you that's trouble. That's just trouble walking. Um, they expect you to know, and yet they don't really want you to know. It's, it's really kind of bizarre. Um, they might not always be honest with who they are. There's something called liquid identity. Liquid identity was a term first used with the Columbine shootings when, when the young men who perpetrated that horrible act were known by one group in the school as, as this and one group in the school as that. you guys remember that? The trench coats. People were very surprised that it was those boys who did that because they weren't known in the school as being that type of boy. So liquid identity was a term that was coined, which it's all over now. I mean, you can be a guy on Facebook if you want to, but you can fake it, you can make up yourself, you can pretend to be 32 living in Paris if you want to, and who's going to really find out? Really scary. Um, They think they can relate to people from around the world. They are the most world-in-tune generation we've ever had because of the World Wide Web and things like YouTube. They have bands they like from Scotland and South Africa. And I think that's great. Um, But they don't really understand the world. And they can't really relate to the world. But they do have college choices from around the world now. Because they have Facebook friends and online gaming friends who go to the University of Edinburgh. And now that's where they want to go to school. It's fascinating. The mother says, who are you texting now, Jeremy? A guy named Justin Mott. I need to borrow his bio notes. Justin Mott? Well, I think I know his grandma. I met her in line at the bank a few months ago. We discovered that not only do you and Justin go to the same school, but two of your uncles have the same first name. And we were both married in August, and our fathers drove Studebakers, and we each get a craving for asparagus on Memorial Day. So what do you know about Justin? He's a guy who has bio notes I need to borrow. (laughs) A bit exaggerated? Probably not. What I want to share with you now is one of the more important things I think I'm going to say. That doesn't mean that everything else can be dismissed, but you've noticed how much space I've given you on the handout, and this is why. This generation... And to a large extent, the generation just above it, so those of you who are in your 30s, are motivated and even cause your your beliefs are caused by your relationships. So you have what we call relationship-based beliefs. So this younger generation, it's relationships that cause their beliefs people are so important to them, people are the commodity and people are what drives their engine, that it's relationship-based beliefs. That's why they can appear to be uh, inconsistent and change their opinions a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I'm working with CareNet, which is the largest group of pregnancy help centers in the world. And I've written a chapter for a book for them on this topic. And we're looking at the issue of pro-life and abortion through this grid. Um, they might believe abortion is horrible on Monday and think it's okay on Tuesday. So they go to a pregnancy health center on Monday and they're going to put their kid up for adoption because that's what's right. Monday night, they hear from a friend who says, you can't do that. You know, you, you, it would just ruin your life to know that you had a little one out there that you weren't raising. You just need to abort and just get it over with. It's just so clean and so simple. So they call on Tuesday and they say, I, you know, I'm going back to that abortion idea. Does that make sense too? the change, so one day they're all about being obedient in your class, and they're going to be respectful, and they're going to be a team player, and the next time they come to school, it's as if they're a totally different kid, and it's because they heard something or listened to someone, and it might not even be a friend, it might be a TV show that is actually, in their opinion, in their relationships. Some of these kids have admitted that they feel like they know Ellen better than their own mother, if they watch American Idol. Is that scary? It should be. Your thoughts, sir? Is there a way to make it permanent? Yeah, get to their hearts. Be the one that they relate to that is consistently trustworthy and a model of Christ. It will always work. Amen? Those of us who are in the faith, we have to believe that. But I love the question. Now, versus us, let's just put us up here on the screen. We are beliefs that cause relationships, so we are belief based relationship people, those of us who are older. So, my generation, we have certain beliefs, we look for people who have similar beliefs, and that's to whom we relate. It doesn't mean that I don't have people I relate to who are outside of the faith, I do. But my core, you know, when I decided to hire a fitness trainer, she had to be a believer. I wasn't going to have a fitness trainer. There wasn't a solid sold out to Christ believer who was also a good mom. And people are like, "Why is that important to you?" Cuz I am celebrate kids. I'm not going to let somebody have that much influence over my life who doesn't share the core of who I am. Where younger people would have been like, "I just wanted to be physically fit and know her stuff. Doesn't matter how ethical she is." Do you guys see that? Go ahead. Right. The the benefit of the nom school, and to a large degree a Christian school as well, in comparison to, to a public, is the, the continuity across content area and teachers, is that belief system. But again, I'm here because I'm an advocate for who you all are and what you stand for, absolutely. And when you're, especially at the middle school, high school level, where you've got more believing peer group members, you can have some trusting there too, right? So what we can do to make the beliefs permanent is make sure that the ones that they're relating to, have the same beliefs. They might not choose them for their beliefs. They choose them because they're cool. But if they have the same beliefs, then ultimately you have the belief-based relationship model taking place. Yes? makes sense? So this can be a helpful way of looking at what's going on. And when I've had a chance, I haven't talked to a lot of high school kids about this, but when I've had a chance to explain that to them and actually on a napkin draw that out, they're like, oh... Well, that makes sense to me. So I am listening sometimes to the wrong voices. That's really foolish of me. And they, they sometimes do recognize what's going on there, and then they understand why they're they told by grandfather that they're inconsistent or that, you know, you're supposed to keep your word. You know, why aren't you a person who keeps your... Christ has taught you you're supposed to honor your word. Why aren't... You said yesterday that you weren't going to do that. Now you're going to do it. I don't I don't understand that. And the kids are frustrated with their own internal inconsistency. And so when you show them something like this PowerPoint screen... They're gonna maybe be able to rationalize it and see it and then, and then run from that which is, which is negative. Okay? Yes? It's not, uncom- flip flop. do they realize that flip-flopping their, their views and their values and their ideas, do they realize that that's uncomfortable? Not initially. Remember, change is their choice. Change is their norm. They believe it's all about me, and personal opinion is very, very important to this generation. And so they initially would say it's not a problem. But when you sit down and you really talk with them about, especially if they're believers and they understand that some of what they're even believing is against the word of God, Then this information can help them see why they have fallen into that pattern of thinking, and it helps them figure out how to change. That's my quick answer. I've got to move on. I really I got to watch the clock because you're going to be really frustrated if we don't get to the very end. So bear with me. And like I said earlier, I'm here until noon Friday. So pull me aside in the hallway and let's talk later. Um, Another point here on the handout is that they do tend to have high and unrealistic expectations. I'm a believer in high expectations, amen? Because you don't want them to to be satisfied with something that is lower or less than what they're capable of. But, you know, a lot of them want to be perfect. They actually think technology is perfect. Now, we know it's not, amen? But do you know something? The cell phone is only 20 years old, and we're on the fourth generation cell phone. So in their lifespan, that is how fast technology is improving and that is how fast they expect themselves to be able to improve. You know, they don't mind you know, new policies on Facebook every other week, where some of us are like, when you people just decide what you're going to do, I do it. You know? But they're all about that kind of thing. Um, but they've been raised with something that they believe is perfect, so they want to be perfect. Here's a quote from a psychology professor where he's commenting on young people's inability to make major life decisions. This is very telling. This is what he says. People didn't used to expect the perfect job, the perfect partner, the perfect life. People were hoping for a good enough life. Does that ring true for any of you? Have any of you had the the older millennials maybe talk to you about perfect? Well, what's the perfect college? Remember I said to you before that they need choice and that can actually paralyze them from making one because they want to make the right choice. The perfect is UT Austin or should I go to a Christian college or have been grounded enough in my faith and can I go to UT Arlington or should I go to, you know, North Texas or should I go to, you know, Princeton or should I go to Cedarville and, you know, Wheaton, it's huge. Um, In this this unrealistic expectation thing, a lot of them want to be famous. Remember, they've been raised in this generation with the TV and the Internet. You know, you go viral on YouTube, right? How many of you have dreamed of doing that? Let's do something at our school. Let's, you know, film a pep rally and let's do something really creative, and let's hope it goes viral as a way of endorsing the NAMs model. Now, that's not actually foolish, you know, but a lot of our kids, where it's all about being on YouTube and being famous. Many kids today believe they have an enable inalienable right to be famous. Kids used to say, "I want to be a designer," or "I want to be an athlete," or "I want to be a writer." Now they just say they want to be famous. That's a direct quote from David Morrison, who's the CEO of 20-something. So he studies the 20-somethings, and what he's finding is that they want to be famous. Now, let me say that I think that that will be more true in the public school culture. But i got to be honest with you, it is in our culture. There are even churches that have bought into the bigger and the best and the perfect. And we have to be really careful that we're actually becoming of the world a bit because of the influence that Hollywood has. But what do you think? I saw some of you nodding. And so I'm all about your school being excellent. I just don't want you to be excellent to be famous. I want you to be excellent because it glorifies God. Amen? I heard an amen. So there's nothing wrong with excellence. There's nothing wrong with perfection. Except that it's been done, his name is Jesus. (laughs) So if you're trying to be the perfect teacher, give it up. And if you're trying to be a perfect kid, then you're saying you don't need Jesus to have died for you. That's the ultimate, most prideful statement you could ever make. Hello. And so the culture has a way of really messing with the, the, the life. I'm all about excellence, but for a different reason from the people over there, right? And so we have to make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons and not modeling something that would be a lie. Um, Another thing that's related to this um, unrealistic expectation thing is that they want everything and they want it now. That's unrealistic. You can't have it all and you can't have it all now. Amen and amen. Um, To be honest with you, the word entitled is often used for this generation. Would you have used it? If I would have asked you, if you would have gone around the room and I would have said, let's just name one adjective per person that describes the generation, would some of you maybe have thought of entitled? They are shocked when they find out that that's a word we would use to describe them. Many of them are like, no, I I don't believe that about myself. But when you look at their expectation for their first job, oh, it's hysterical. (laughs) I I don't have time to, I mean, they want higher pay is 74% of them want higher pay. 61% 61% of college graduates today want a flexible work schedule. <laughs> 56% of today's college graduates want a promotion within a year, and 50% want more vacation and personal time that they're being offered. A friend of mine is an opera singer, and I asked him if he—I asked him to describe when I, I knew I've known him since he was a kid, and he. I never would have guessed opera for his specialty. Um, he grew up singing you know, choruses in church. And I asked him what he's noticed about parents and kids today and if he had any relevant concerns. And this is what he emailed me. I have noticed kids today have a different mentality than they did in my generation. Scott's uh, 36 years old. This is a generation of entitlement. Many young people feel they deserve to be as rich as celebrities or to spend money on lavish things when basic needs are being ignored. I see parents who feel these kids deserve the best but don't make them work for it. Now, this is an opera singer, a single guy who's just traveling America as an opera singer. Even in my business, young singers feel they deserve leading roles in opera production straight out of college because their parents and professors allow them to think that way. It's almost as if we are afraid to say anything negative so as not to crush their hopes and dreams. The reality is the singing career is hard. And it takes a lot of hard work, sweat and tears. One must climb the ladder and work hard at it. Even then, there's no guarantee. So I think your role as educators, to be honest with them about their strengths and their challenges is really important. To say, yes, your are worthy. And yes, go. But then to caution them to think that it's all going to be there for them on a silver platter or that they're going to be valedictorian of their college class, which has 1,000 when they had you know, 22 in high school, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I'm going to move on. It looks like the, the reaction, though, is, is strong in the audience. You, you guys are thinking, aren't you? That's cool. I love it, because I'm here to promote thought um, for sure. Next point I can do quickly. Um, it's kind of related, but this idea that millennials and their parents often disagree about what's the best future for them. And I don't know if any of you can testify to that in your own family But there's always been discord. I mean, I'm not saying that in our generation there weren't disagreements. But for the most part, across the board, there are disagreements because here's the thing. This generation of kids wants to change the world. That is one of the best things about them. And that's one of the things that I affirm in them. Individually and corporately as a body of people, they want to change the world. They actually think they can change the world. Amen? Amen. And I don't want to blow, I don't want to blow that you know, balloon or that bubble or burst that um, bubble. They actually think they have the cure for AIDS you know, in their generation. More power to them. So here's the point. They want to go to the Peace Corps, and, and they want to go build uh, you know, habitat, humanity houses, and Daddy wants them to be a lawyer. So Mom and Dad, seeing their potential and seeing the economic crisis, wants them to be doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs, if you will and this generation exposed to the world through the internet, knowing about South Africa through the World Cup, you know, more than our generation ever did, et cetera, et cetera, they want to go and they want to serve. Praise God. I think we're going to have launch a lot of missionaries. And I think we're going to launch from your schools a lot of tent makers who go to places like China where they can't go in as a missionary, but they can go in as a linguist or as a doctor or as a as a writer. And on the side, win people to Christ and do the illegal under the ground church. Oh my goodness, I've got got what I call God bumps. Because I think that's really true. So to get to the moms and the dads and to help them understand that their children are being wired to be change agents. And so they're going to want a career that will allow them to do that. Now, are you guys change agents as teachers? Absolutely. Can you be a change agent as a bus driver? Absolutely, if you do it under the Lord and so to help this generation understand again that there's a lot that can be done here's another quote from a film director this is a hollywood guy who said it used to be the coolest thing you could do when you're a teenager was to start a band now the coolest thing you can do is start a nonprofit and there are more nonprofits that have been started by this generation than any other in the history of america and it's still a young generation now to be honest with you some people are starting their own nonprofits cuz they can't get a job <laughs> So, the unemployment rate I think has has amplified that beyond what it might have been if we wouldn't have had the economy uh, situation that we had a while back. yes, yes, do hard things is a great book, yes, ma'am yeah. I wonder. I think that's a really good question. And I think, um, because they don't like to persevere, remember? So what I think, I think part of their stress, they actually have more depression in their generation than any other also. And I think some of the depression, the suicide rate, is absolutely terrifying, which I'll share with you in a minute. Um, Not to terrify you, but to alert you to what's reality for them. So I think that the depression and the fear that they're living under is coming from that reality that they can't do everything they want to do. So then they're not going to do anything because they have to be perfect, right? So it's a struggle for them. I mean, I've talked to 20-somethings. How many of you are millennials actually in this room? I've actually, when I've done some staff development in public schools, they've been weeping. And I had administrators, praise God, stand up and apologize to the whole millennial body of, of teachers. I had a principal just up the road a bit in Plano a year ago stand up at a very prestigious public high school and apologize in front of everyone to his millennial teachers for saying I've I've not understood you and wow you know this has really been helpful and I'm going to try really hard to support you in what you want to do to make change around here so I think part of it is going to be is there a support system again great insight great insight where do we where do we come in as the realists you know where do we come in and and again I don't want to burst their bubble I think they can make a lot of change you're going to hear me talk tomorrow night at the banquet about some of that very issue of how does change happen in a culture. And maybe if they understood that, it would be helpful. Yeah, love your insight. One more. Yeah. That's great. So a millennial who became a teacher to be a part of the change she wanted to see in the world. And and that's cool. I've got to move on again. Let's let's talk after. I'm, I apologize. I, I maybe should have tried to cut the handout. But I, I looked at it and I couldn't cut anything. So... <laughs> What I'm doing is not giving you as much depth, but I, I hope that you're still uh, ultimately satisfied. Um, for the reasons mentioned, for everything we've already done, and there's more to come on the rest of the handout, but what do millennials admit to being, I've already told you depressed, write down depressed. They are, um, they'll are. they actually admit that, and the statistics bear that out. Um, two million teenagers report being depressed. I think that's actually underreported because I don't think they know what depression feels like. But suicide is the third leading cause of death for 11 to 19-year-olds. That's a nationwide statistic. 11 to 19-year-olds it's the third leading cause of death. We have 11, 12, and 13-year-old kids hanging themselves in the closet because of something that was said or not said or something done or not done. It's underreported in the news. You know that because they don't want the suicide killings. And so you often won't hear about it. But if you read the death notices, you look at the pictures of the children. Um, It's interesting. Homicides and accidents are the first and second causes. And homicides and accidents are also rooted in depression and dysfunction. So they're killing themselves rather than persevering through the hard times. They're killing themselves Because they don't know who to go to. Now, again, I don't think that statistic is going to hold up in your schools. But it's a culture that influences them. Amen? They hear about it. They know what's happening in the school across the street. And so when they're depressed, what do they decide to do with that feeling? Do they decide to give up or not? What else do you think they're feeling, though? What are they admitting to being? Okay, stressed. Exactly. Stressed, which would be kind of a cousin um, stressed and frustrated are two words I hear a lot. Um, one fourth of millennials feel unfulfilled in life. So some of the stress, some of the, the some of the stress comes from their choice to try to be perfect and to try to change the world already, and they're not being heard because they're only they're only 21 or they're only 17. Have you noticed, by the way, how many kids will have lemonade stands to cure cancer and you know raise money for your school and stuff? It's amazing. But one-fourth feel unfulfilled in life. Nearly half of them say that they're stressed, which is twice the level of boomers. So our generation. Um, they feel exceptional pressure in areas that affect others' views of them, such as getting good grades. They feel a lot of pressure to get good grades. If they don't get good grades. They feel they've let mom and dad down. They don't know how to deal with that because they just delete a friend. You know, on Facebook, if they don't have, they just delete a friend. But you can't delete your mom she's going to show up every day after school you know and so what else do you think they're feeling anxiety misunderstood excellent hmm fear excellent confusion about what to do and what to be excellent they feel hopeless and like failures many of them do they have such big dreams and they're not good at Self-evaluation, remember? And so they're not good at figuring out if that dream is realistic given their circumstances. You know, So to think of projects that they could do as a class, you know, the junior class project, and to help them, the student council thing and, and getting stuff off the ground, I really empathize with you, but to try to help them figure out something that is realistic and that will change their world, that will change their part of the world in some way. Anger is a word I hear a lot, angry. They're angry um, because happiness is their goal. What do you think? True statement for some of them? It's all about me and keeping me happy, right? And I love the example earlier where they're screaming in the back of the car because they can't have their drink right now. Well, as soon as we see a restaurant, we'll pull in. Well, why isn't it right here, right now? Because we're not on the right road. Get over yourself, you know? So the anger is coming sometimes from the impatience and from the, I want it my way what I want it now kind of thing. Um, so happiness is their goal. Um, by the way, that, that means that they won't do something because it's right. They'll do something because it'll make them feel happy. How many of you know that wrong things can make you feel happy? For a while. And then what happens? You feel worse and you have guilt and shame. And now you have stress, confusion, anxiety, frustration, depression, and suicide. Do you guys see that? Wow. Lonely. Does that surprise you? With all the friends on Facebook and all the people on their on their cell phone? You know, they collect these names, right? People are their commodity. So they have people, but what they don't have is in-depth. Where do you guys get your lack of loneliness? You get it from the vulnerability, right? You get it from the accountability. You get it from the um lack of superficial small talk you get it from the depth you get it from the sharing of your heart with somebody seeing real physical people seeing real physical people exactly i felt that as a young mom all my moms were in their little boxes in their schedules and i was in my box ha uh yeah uh, yeah i mean i grew up kitty corner from one set of grandparents two blocks from the other a block and a half from my aunt uncle and cousins and a mile from my other aunt uncle and cousins. I went to school and church with all my cousins. Every Saturday morning, went to Grandma Meyers for pancakes, homemade pancakes, the old-fashioned kind. Loved them, still do. Don't buy me pancake batter in a milk carton and pour it and tell me that's a pancake. And don't put it in a toaster have it pop out and tell me it's a pancake. You don't put pancakes in the toaster. You put them on the griddle. Um, but so, yeah, the, the lack of uh, that family and the lack of people that you really see, that you really rub shoulders with, absolutely. So, loneliness. Here's an actual quote from a high school student. Computer games are ruining my life. If I'm not playing, I'm thinking about playing. I have, like, no real friends. And yet, his next statement was, I'm addicted And I don't know how to stop. My own nephew, who's a solid, solid young man, he'll be a junior at Cedarville University, has has admitted to me that when he doesn't play his online games with his buddies, he has to defend himself more than he would like. Make sense to you? You know, he's working two jobs, he's got a girlfriend, he's not sitting at home every night until 2 in the morning on some online game with his friends that he went to high school with in Pennsylvania. You know? So it's an interesting stand that you have to take. Um, there's, there's more, uh, but that I'm going to move on if you all don't mind. Um, disappointed, lost. Let me, let me give you some of their words just very quickly. I feel like I'm supposed to do this. This is their words when I've interviewed them. Insecure, confused, restless, indecisive, depressed, came up a lot, aimless. Isn't that interesting? Because they have so much they could do. But that's that paralysis again. So aimless, lonely, shallow. well thought that was very interesting. Rude. Some of them admit that they're rude. Um, they haven't been taught, you know, the good old-fashioned make eye contact and stuff. That's why I'm, I'm a real believer in the communication group that's here and the breakfast. I can't wait. I think I'm going to get up and come to breakfast tomorrow morning to hear those guys speak. Uh, dissatisfied, lost, Unaccepted, bored. Oh, this one fascinates me. I feel like a piece of work. And then I had a lot of kids in the group say, oh, yeah, we're, we're projects they're working on. <laughs> now, all of us have felt that at some point, I think, in our lives. Uh, disappointed, disrespectful, and disrespected. Um, thoughtless, though that was a very interesting admission. Hyper, so then I said, okay, tell me the good ones. Yeah, you know, because right, hello. You know, so then they, oh, oh, you want those too? But isn't it interesting that I didn't set them up. I just said, tell me some words to describe you. I didn't say I want the negatives. But what came out of their mouths is what came out of our mouths, which are the negatives. But then they said creative, um, outgoing, which is very interesting that they think that of themselves. And some of them are. Uh, smart. We really do care. and We're savvy. We're aggressive. We're multitaskers, and they see that as a good thing, of course. We're tolerant, and they see that as a good thing. We're bold. And then one of my favorite admissions, we are attention seekers. Um, So that gives you an idea. I would actually recommend that you have that discussion. If, If there's a way, after you've got a trusting relationship that's begun, uh, to see if you could go there and, and have that discussion. If you guys, those of you who teach creative writing or speech, you could certainly build it into assignments. The rest of you might just want to do it and say, hey, I heard this gal speak at our convention in July. And she really challenged me with how different your generation is. And it would honor me if you would share your heart with me. How do you think of yourselves? And, and see, what, see what comes of that. It could be really interesting. Let's look on the next page um, at their problem-solving methods. And I've already hinted at this, but I think this is so important. Again, for those of us that are educators trying to create um, and, and prepare these guys for the world, uh, notice what I say there. Let me read it just to help me focus. Millennials tend to use intuition, control-alt-delete, delete a friend, and cut-and-run problem-solving methods. All right. So in, in that order, and I didn't, I'm not surprised that you were laughing at the control-alt-delete. But um, many millennials are intuitive problem solvers. They just get started. They don't know what a manual is, and if they did, they wouldn't read it. How many of you would still prefer that stuff come with manuals? Anyone in the room? I mean, I understand that there's a help menu, and you can, but I want a manual! I want it to have a cover! I want it to have pages I can turn down and bookmark and highlight in yellow. You know, because if I don't remember it on Monday and I don't remember it on Wednesday, I have to go back to the help menu and then I can't remember where I found it on the help menu because, you know, you don't. (laughs) And the kids are like, why, you know, why kill a tree for another manual, you know? Well, they're intuitive. I mean, I'm probably going to be buying a new phone and I am not going to learn how to use it myself. I'm going to hand it over to some kid in my church and say, would you teach me this? You know, because that's not, I'm not intuitive in that way. I am afraid it'll break. They don't know anything can be broken. Um, and they are trained by technology to bail out at the first sign of trouble. That's the control Alt delete And that's one reason they don't persevere. If you think about it, technology has taught them just reboot. You know, if something's frozen. Now, how many of you do control Alt delete I mean, we all have to do it, but how many of you don't like it? Like, I don't like doing it. I want to wait and see if it'll, like, unfreeze itself. And I'll keep trying different things to see. I'll walk away. I'll I'll come back and shoot. The hourglass is still there. And so I do the control out, delete. And the worst thing to do is to have that not work and to ultimately have to close it down, you know, with pushing the button. I'm like, oh. And the the young people are like, you can't break it. And I'm like, you know, some things do get broken. (laughs) And I've heard from my tech guy, it's not good for the computer to do that often. But that's where, again, that lack of perseverance comes from. Is this idea that man when it freezes you just you just reboot just reboot life you know just pretend that didn't happen and, and I can't break it. Um, they don't have any ex- they don't have very many experiences working through conflict. They just delete a friend, you know, on Facebook on their cell phone. Somebody disses them and they're off. How many of you know that that's true? You know they don't know how to work through a conflict. They don't know how to compromise and and, and where it's okay to to agree to disagree. How many of you have friends who you don't agree with and everything? But you're still friends. You can still be happy together. You just choose not to discuss certain things, probably. Um, so they also they also may, depending upon their age and, and, and a lot of things, they may also believe in what I call the 60-minute mystery TV show, Problem Solving Method. Uh, where at, you know, CSI, at 902 there's a problem and it's solved by 957. You know, now that is not reality, people. Hello. Now, our generation learned the 30-minute sitcom approach to problem solving. Beaver had a problem at 702 that was solved by 728. You know, you with me? You know, Eddie Haskell and the whole Leave it to Beaver thing? So some of us were raised with the 30-minute approach. This generation, if they're watching those kinds of TV shows, we built, by the way, we'll have more forensic scientists than we know what to do with in about 20 years. (laughs) But uh, maybe 10 years. But they've really believed from the TV shows again that in 60 minutes you should be able to solve a problem. So now again we have a lack of perseverance, right? And that's not reality. That is not reality. I ask anybody in the medical field. It doesn't really happen that way very often. Um, So kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Again, they're not afraid of making mistakes. They don't think you can break something. So they will take risks. Um, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's dangerous because things really do break, and you can break your heart or somebody else's. Uh, so you better be careful. Um, again, because of things like digital cameras, they believe that they can edit out or delete out of life the things that, that they don't want to remember. You tracking with me how the, you see that this, we're coming back to where we started? And then let me remind you again of something I did say toward the beginning, and that is, again, the issue of consequences um, it can be challenging for three reasons. Technology has taught them that problems can be quickly solved with no lasting ramifications. That's true, right? If, you know, if your computer stopped working, just shut it off for a while. No lasting ramifications. The second reason that consequences are challenging for this generation is that parents may think they're helping their children by protecting them from the consequences. Have you seen a little bit too much of the overprotective parent? Yeah. And then a third reason that consequences are challenging is that their brain isn't fully developed. I hope that you're aware of that, that not only do we have the millennial mind issue from technology, but the prefrontal cortex, which is the control for... Um, a lot of the thinking processes is not fully developed, they've now determined, until the age of 25. That's why a teenager who drives drunk is more dangerous than a 30-year-old who drives drunk. It has to do with the prefrontal cortex. And so um, for those reasons and probably others, uh, they don't understand the consequence issue. They don't understand that there really can be pain that lasts. And this is also why things like forgiveness They just don't, they don't get that. They don't know that's necessary because nothing lasts for them. But does it really last? Oh, yeah. And at some point, they will pay because sin does have consequences. Amen? And it should. It should. Absolutely. It'll never happen to me. Yeah. Yeah, because... That's a good point. That some of us were raised, go to the altar every Sunday, and um, you know, ask for forgiveness over and over again, which is so not biblical. Um, there's a balance, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think, based on my interactions with some some of this generation, I am I am concerned. My email address is for their um, personal accountability. They're very easily they very easily blame others. Because, well, she told me to. Remember, because it's, it's all about, again, relationships which cause beliefs. So it's very easy for them to say, well, my teacher said it was okay. Or, well, Jessica said, well, you know, Brian wasn't doing it. and So they can be very quickly, they can give away their failure, and they can give away their success. Coupled with this cut-and-run mentality. I'm afraid they're going to cut and run from God and try to go hide in a cave somewhere and think that he doesn't know what's going on, but of course he does. its um, I would so enjoy interacting with you and, and, and learning more. You know, my email address is on your handout, and um, you are welcome to email me. I would love to hear from you guys. Like in six to eight weeks, when the school year started, say, hey, Dr. Kathy, this is what I've noticed, or this is the thing you said that really helped me. I would benefit from that. And if you become my friend on Facebook um you will you know i'm i like facebook for some reasons i'm not opposed to it at all but if you become my friend on facebook not my fan i don't i don't post much at celebrate kids you can be my fan there that's cool but friend me um and i'm i think i'm one of the more popular kathy cooks but kathy cook it's just kathy cook just my first and last name see if you can find me on there and friend me um and you'll see some of my posts. And I, I will sometimes ask questions on there to try to get a conversation going. And um, that, would be, that would be really cool to get involved with some of you guys. All right. Well, i got to move on to the next one, which is very important for those of us in the educational community. And it says that they have these expectations about knowledge. They want knowledge to be current, instantly available, and personally relevant. So there's already a lot I've said, I think, that relates to the way that you're going to teach, yes? But now let's look at this from the content area. You know, some of you are teaching children math, some of you are science, history, economics, foreign language, computers, whatever. They want it to be current. And they want it to be current because they're used to having instant access to everything and they think it's all current. (laughs) They don't understand that stuff on the Internet is old, some of it. You know, and and biased and inaccurate, for sure. But they have the expectation that it should all be current. I think that has huge implications. How many of you teach history? Teach children history? Have any of them balked more than before about why are we studying this? It's so old. You know, why do we have to learn about that war? Why can't we just talk about the Iraq War? Well, because history repeats itself. Hello, and uh, Old Testament history and and church history and. You know they're they're becoming less and less interested in that. So those of you that are doing that, I think probably have to maybe have to work harder at saying no. You know, please trust me and believe that there's a reason. However, let me say this to you as well. If I'm right that they want knowledge to be current, then how do you tie old to new so that they'll buy the system? You know, stop stop the fight and say okay. You know, the juniors in high school, they want it to be current, but we're talking about, you know, World War II, or we're talking about the founding of America. What can I do to tie it into today so that they can see the current application of what we're talking about? That, that would be my goal for you, is that you begin to think that through. Those of you that are teaching children science, you're talking about science inventions, you know, how can you tie that in? To those of you that are teaching fourth graders and you're teaching the history of your state, you know how do you make that current? Because this is what they want. And if it, if they don't think it's current, they may really shut down and become that they will choose to be bored and choose to be disengaged because you know it's all about them and they want it to be current. Second word up there, or second on the on the hand up there is instantly available. Oh my gosh, because they're used to finding it all, right? One click of the mouse. You know, in the old days, we learned about the table of contents and the index and the, um, the card catalog in the library that I don't think they have anymore. I don't know how I could even use a library today. You know, They want it to be instantly and immediately and easily available with one click of the mouse. So to make them search for it. So But yeah, we got to teach them those skills. Amen. I personally think books will never go out of existence. And I think we need to teach them how to use that. And then another word or another phrase really, I think is, is possibly very challenging in, in our schools, is that they want it to be not just relevant, but personally relevant. Because it's all about them. Because awesome ends with me. And and I get it the way I want it, because I can buy that song off of iTunes, not the whole CD, right? So it's all about me, Changing the world, my world, the way I want to change it, the way I think I can change it, it is all about me. And if you knew me, you could teach me better. So really, knowing them is such a key to your success. Will they let you know them? If they're the superficial Facebook generation, that becomes hard, right? So it's a catch-22 again. But to know that they do want to change the world, to know that they do multitask and that they are creative, although it shows up differently than in the old days, um, can become really, really important. This is where I had the statement on here where the little girl said she didn't need to learn to print or to write in cursive. This is what she said. She'd always have a computer and would own her own company, and she'd have an assistant who would write for her. She was a first grader. This is what George Barnes says about faith. Faith in the American context is now individual and customized. Americans are comfortable with an altered spiritual experience as long as they can participate in the shaping of that faith experience. Consequently, more and more people are engaged in hybrid faiths, mixing elements from different historical eras and divergent theological perspectives, screening or critiquing what a faith community believes is deemed rude and inappropriate, pragmatism and relativism rather than any sort of absolutism. Has gained momentum. We're going to talk more about that when we get to the bottom statement on that page, yes. Because they don't. So to expect them to become Anne Frank, they don't know, and they're not her. I agree with that. And the stress and the fear and the confusion that could result just adds to their depression. That's an interesting point. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. Uh, so the ancient Rome. How many? What they were seeing there, and then video gaming and how that affects your brain. Yeah, that's a, that's another example as well. You guys are the excellent, you're in the trenches, you know how to do this. And some of you have already done it, and I'm simply saying, this is why. Keep doing it. This is why they're becoming more demanding. Um, this might be, in, those of you that like statistics, 71% of millennials in a, in a survey say they will develop their own slate of religious beliefs rather than accept a package of beliefs promoted by a church or denomination. 71%. 64% of adults are willing to experience and express their faith in new or different environments or structures than they have in the past. So adults, we're willing to change the structure, we're willing to change the format, We're willing to go to a more casual service than we were used to and stuff like that. But of the millennials, 71% will develop their own slate of religious beliefs. Internet church is on the increase with this generation. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, there's no such thing. For a lot of the millennials, there's no such thing as an ultimate authority. They will read the Bible, the Koran, and you know the New Age tree-hugging stuff that's out there as well. And they'll read a book about the book rather than the book. And that becomes really dangerous. I was reflecting. I was in my office um, late yesterday. And I own thousands of books. And I was sitting in my chair. I turned it away from my laptop and had my feet up on another chair. And just kind of looking at all these books, and it was just, and like I've written too, and I'm like, how, how you know, audacious to think that I would have something to say that hadn't already been said. I'm like, what do we need all these books for when we have the book, you know, and it's so tempting to go to all of that, and it's so much easier, we think, to go to all of that. I thought about tomorrow night, my, I'm not going to do it, but in my banquet speech tomorrow night, I, had to, I, had, <laughs> I was thinking I'd bring like 20 books. And I'd hold them up, like like one of them would be "War Against Children," which is an actual book I own, about the medical, the overdiagnosis of medicine, the war against children. Then I have one called "Are You Raising a Whiny, Uncontrollable Brand?" And I you know, hold up all these books. It's like, is this your environment? What do we do about it? Read the book. Um, I'm rambling. I got to move on. I'm watching your faces, and you just have to understand that it's very challenging. Because I'm seeing your hearts and some of what you're you're processing, it's very exciting. The reason I have the world up here, by the way, that remember personal relevance, they want to change the world. So one of the ways that it becomes personally relevant is how do they want to change the world and how do they think they can? And I love what you were saying about what's their call, you know, and who are they? Who are they now? And who are they going to be? Uh, next point in the handout, really exciting news is that they are curious about many things. How, have you seen that? They, they are curious about many things. Now, because they don't think anything can be broken, curiosity can actually be dangerous. Uh, they can be. I've, I've met kids. We had a federal grant down at Fort Hood with uh, military kids for abstinence, and we actually had high schoolers. This is uh, four, five, six years ago, and they said that they had sex because they were curious. That was their motivation. They wanted to know what's the big deal? What's it all about? Uh, I've met kids who have had had drinks and and smoked and had Ill, Ill, illegal drugs and popped a little bit of too many uh, you know, over-the-counter medications because they wanted to know, what's this going to feel like? So curiosity can actually get you into big trouble, but it is a good quality to have um, if you have self-control, self-respect, and respect for others. Those are the three character qualities that we at Celebrate Kids think are the driving foundation of everything else. Um, so mo- we need to model and teach how to dig deep, like it says here on the handout. We have to help them understand that there are times that it's good to dig deep. They're satisfied with one hit on the search engine. You know, they go to Good Search or Google and they type in, you know, astronauts and they look at the first ten and they, they click on two and they're satisfied. Well, isn't there something more that you might want to do? Um, they're curious because knowledge is easy to find, but again, perseverance is hard, so they don't like to dig. How many of you know that you got to dig sometimes? You got to dig sometimes. Um, this emerging generation of millennials, according to the research, they relish mystery, uncertainty, and ambiguity. They are not bothered by contradictions. Now that's interesting. They relish mystery, uncertainty, and ambiguity. They're not bothered by contradictions. That's relevant to me. I, I don't know if it's relevant to you, but when I think about that, because I sometimes dig deep because of the contradiction I found, and I want to find ultimate truth. So, like, this website says this, and this website says this. Or this expert on parenting says this, and this expert on parenting says that. And I'm looking for some agreement, so I go to a third, fourth, and fifth source to try to come up with an agreement that I feel I agree with so that I can espouse that idea. This generation, they don't mind the contradiction. So they're not motivated to dig deep to find agreement of truth with a capital T. They actually might be motivated to find more disagreement because they can live with diversity in their mind so much easier than we can, which has huge implications for their faith. And I'm getting there. That's the next one on the handout. Hang with me. One of the questions that drives their engine is right here. Is there a better way to do this? This is a core question for them. Is there a better way to do this? That's a type of curiosity they have. And and here's one of the ways that one of my mentors put it. We want to know how something works. They want to know how to work it. Isn't that interesting? Like, I want to know, how does a cell phone work? Fascinates me. They just want to know how to work it. Is there a better way to do this? That's how they're listening to you. I can guarantee it based on the interviewing I've done. They're listening to your lecture, or they're listening to you explain the science experiment. Boys and girls, we're going to do it two by two and we're going to wear goggles and goggles and we're going to start over here. And They're sitting there the whole time going, oh, there's a better way to do this. <laughs> and how many of you have raised their hands and they've told you the better way? <laughs> you know, you know. And again, they don't see that as argumentative. They don't see that as disrespectful. They see that as helpful. That is the way they use their brain. So I don't envy you your decision in those moments. You know, but I wonder if, before you do the experiment, if you could say to the kids, hey, if any of you have suggestions on ways that you think we could efficiently and effectively figure this out, you know, share them with me. I mean, it'd be interesting. And then to help them see that your idea is ultimately the better idea. <laughs> is it? You know, For safety, for efficiency. Uh, maybe you have them partnered with a more able with a less able, and that's what you want. But you might have to find yourself defending yourself a little bit more than you feel is necessary. But if you think of yourself as not defending so much as you're teaching a decision-making process, because remember, they don't know how to make decisions. They just cut and run. So if in this, is there a better way to do this, you listen to their perspective, and then you share why you're concerned with their idea. And you do it not to be argumentative, but you do it because you think it's going to help them learn how to make decisions on their own. What do you think? Takes more time, doesn't it? Oh dear, and you don't have enough of that as it is. So maybe we cover a little bit less content to make sure that we've covered, not covered, covered is a bad word, we have maybe teach a little bit less content if it means that we teach some strategies that will ultimately protect them from the foolishness that the generation may exhibit. And I'm not advocating that necessarily, that's just something for you all to think about. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Great point. You have to know what, why you do it the way you do it so that you can handle their question. And maybe you're just doing it out of routine. Maybe you're doing it because it worked that way before. I remember a year ago teaching this subject to a lot of public school teachers who came up to me at the end and they, said, and they were so grateful. It was really neat because they said, Kathy, what I used to do wasn't working anymore and I thought I was really becoming ineffective and what you've helped me understand is that they've changed so therefore I must change. And that, that gave them the hope that they could do it again. I had one of you actually at break say, you know, I almost quit last year because it was so hard. Because the seniors were so demanding of, of, you know, rule changes and they thought they had arrived and they wanted it done their way. And I'm so glad I stayed, you know. So praise God. I'm moving on though no, because I have to. You all doing okay? I'm loving the curiosity among you. We've hinted at this a lot, but check it out. Millennials are not opposed to investigating, that's a key word, a variety of ideas, and they can easily hold diverse ideas. So not only can they hold diverse ideas from Buddha and Hinduism and and Christ and God and the Spirit and the New Age tree-huggers and the atheists next door, not only can they hold all of that and, and comfortably, although not really, right? That's what stresses them out. How many of you were just thinking that? I think ultimately, if we could help them see, I love the way you guys think, that what we were just talking about 20 minutes ago, the depression, the frustration, the aimlessness that this generation has, that some of that, that gives me chills, some of that is rooted in their choice to not believe the truth is the truth with the capital T. And you know what? That's laziness. Let's call it what it is. Because they're so into choice and they're so afraid to make it. Because then, see, one of the, my favorite things to say when I do chapel on this, and and sometimes they'll stand and they'll applaud. I'll say, you know what? Jesus is the best choice because of all the choices He gives you after you trust Him. You know, Jesus is not—it's not the final choice. It's not like you're done then. Don't be afraid of choosing Christ because you think that you're finished. Choose Christ because Christ is Christ. And gives you the freedom you're so desperately looking for to keep choosing. And sometimes the mature high school kids stand up and they are, like, "You're right," you know, and it's exciting. Am I right? I mean, it's not me. That's what the scripture teaches us. So, I'm loving the way you're thinking. That know that they come into your Bible classes, into your English classes, into your science classes, and you're thinking Edison is great, and they're thinking oh, Edison, eh, he was just lucky. He wasn't all that smart. He just was born at the right time, and he had the right parents who homeschooled him. Um, <laughs> which is actually true. Edison and Einstein both dropped out of school because they couldn't handle it. And they were homeschooled. It's a true story. Um, they hardly ever slept. They worked at chest-high tables. They were, they were ADHD before it was known. I'm, I'm sure of that. But, um, but back to this, you know, to, they want to investigate a variety of ideas. Can you build that into your content? Absolutely. I love that don't be afraid of their investigation under your guidance and again with the parents being supportive and knowing where the parents are coming from to so let them investigate now carefully you know would you let them would you let them read part of the quran would you let them talk to an agnostic as part of an assignment i don't think i'd let a 6th grader do it but i might let a senior do it who was grounded in his faith and had a specific question that he or she was researching. But again, that's your personal decision as a faculty and as an administrative staff. And your goals would have to be clear and you'd want to check with, with a variety of things. I could go on and on. But only one third of this generation believes in absolute moral truth. Only one third of this generation, according to the research, believes in absolute moral truth. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what age group of this generation was in that study. That might have been 25-year-olds. I don't know about the middle schoolers today. One reason that they're accepting of the diverse ideas and opinions is that they believe in the importance of something being, are you ready? Personally relevant, right? We were just talking about it. Personal relevance. And by the way, did you notice there in the handout, the second one from the top right there, millennials expect knowledge to be current, instantly available, and personally relevant. Accurate is not on the list. Accurate is not there be all and end all. That's why truth with a capital T isn't as significant to them as you want it to be. It's significant when it's personally relevant. It's not significant when it's accurate. (laughs) Like two plus two could be five today. I want it to be five. And it's all about me, you know. I mean, you've not really had them say that to you, or have you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's out there. Interesting. I mean, that thinking, unfortunately, is really prevalent. And uh, those of you who are millennial teachers have to make sure that you know Truth with a capital of T. Hello. And I know you do, or you wouldn't have been hired. Um, another re- so one reason that they believe in diversity is personal relevance. Another reason that holding diverse thought is not hard for them is relationship-based beliefs. Remember, they relate to a lot of different people and therefore can have a lot of different beliefs from their friends so they don't want to dishonor. This is why you must be someone they want to relate to if you're going to influence them. Did you all hear that? Now, that's always been true. As long as we've had teachers, we've had a need to to be part of their circle of influence, but more so in this generation than ever before. You don't have to be their friend. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to be... I don't think you should be on Facebook. You don't need to be their friend But you need to be someone they're willing to hear. And how do you earn that right? By knowing them and wanting to be known by them. That'll never change. Y'all hear that? You earn the right to be heard when you know them and you're willing to be known by them. With boundaries, model that, because they're not good at that. But be willing to be there. Um, One in four are unaffiliated with any religion. By the way, And that might be more of the adult millennial. But the adult millennial is modeling for the teenage millennial. So I think it's very relevant. Not belonging does not necessarily mean not believing. Very important for us to understand that. They may not belong. Because remember, they want to adapt their own creed. Remember, they're not going to necessarily buy into the Baptist or the Evangelical Free or the Lutheran or the whatever. They're going to pick and choose what makes them feel good because it's all about, do I feel good? So they might not belong because they want to go to one church Friday, one church Saturday, and one church Sunday, and the next weekend three different churches. And on Wednesday they do internet church with their friends. But they believe. It's interesting. Millennials pray as often as their elders did in their youth. So when you ask questions about prayer life, they're praying as much as my generation prayed when we were their age. Even though their attendance and allegiance to a body of believers is dismal in comparison. Do you guys know what SBNR stands for? SBNR. It stands for spiritual but not religious. And it is a growing presence on Facebook and bumper stickers are coming out, S B R. it means I am spiritual but not religious. They also say that spiritual is who I am, it is not what I do. Now, there's some truth to that. We're human beings, not human doings. But they stop at the spiritual is who I am, and they don't want to go to it's also what I do. See, I think because I am, I do. Yeah, you've got to be both the, the talk and the walk. This, I don't know if you just saw what I put up here on PowerPoint. There's a church of free thought here in Fort Worth. It's a fellowship of unbelievers. And this is their actual newspaper ad said, my own mind is my own church. My religion is to do good. And we are divided by our beliefs, but united by our doubts. I'm sure that's hard to read. This projector changes the color of my slides. My own mind is my own church. My religion is to do good. We are divided by our beliefs, but united by our doubts. It's the church of free thought it meets here in Fort Worth, Texas. And that kind of church is all over the place. Um, next point. You all doing okay? Man, you have listened and fast forward for three hours. I'm so impressed. Um. Another important concept here is that millennials prefer to discover and construct knowledge rather than receiving lots of instruction about what you want them to know. So think of yourself as a facilitator of learning rather than a transmitter of ideas. Now, depending upon when you went to college, you learned about the discovery approach, didn't you? And some of you tried it, and oh my goodness, it takes more time and it takes more effort, and you have to be a little bit... Looser, and you have to be willing for their ideas to come in. And, but just know that because of websites and like Wikipedia, which they get to contribute to, and blogs, which this generation is blogging, we got middle schoolers and high schoolers writing on the Internet for all to see. Because of chat rooms and discussion boards and Internet research and the fact that truth is whatever they want it to be, They want to construct and customize their own understanding. You'll have an easier time this year if you build in more construction time, which means you'll have to have less instruction time. Or you have the same amount of instruction time when they're in school, but the assignments you send them home with have a heavier construction component than they used to church like practice versus construction and I don't know I, you know I'm not an expert at this you're in the trenches I'm not but that might be a very interesting thing for you to dialogue about at lunch see if you guys could eat with other you know high school English teachers and, and talk about what would construction look like um, but think of yourself you know we're not radio transmitters anymore we used to think didn't we I mean in the old days, you know, I'm 55, so I've been an educator for a long time. And there used to be the I'm the full picture, you're the empty glass mentality, right? How many of you remember that? And you're empty, and it's my job to fill you up. And we treated you guys, you're, you're, my students, as you know, empty slates, which was so re- revolting. You know, and then there's, there's the other side, we'll go extreme to the other way, where you know it all and I need to know it all. You know, I don't know anything. You, you're the experts as my students. So what, what right do I have to tell you what to believe? You know? But there's somewhere in between, right? but it's all about helping them construct the truth. So here's an interesting idea. An information deficit can cause students to look like they have ADHD. What do you think? So a speed, remember we talked about this, a speed deficit could cause them to look like they're ADHD because they're used to everything being fast. So if you slow it down, boredom seeps in and the bunny trails occur. But in this idea that they want to Construct their own knowledge, if you don't give them enough to think about, they may appear like they have ADHD. If you don't give them enough to process, it's not just speed, but it's content and the quality of the ideas that you're having them think with and think about. If there's not enough there for them to wrap their mind around, they may appear to be ADHD because they know where they can go to get the knowledge. And I really do think that one reason the dropout rate is going to increase in this generation is because they can go find it on their own. I think, in fact, you're going to probably hear me say this tomorrow night. I am absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm really so impressed with the vision statement of NOMS. That's one reason that I'm back this year. You have that they're college worthy. Totally supportive of that. I love that it doesn't say they're college bound. Because I don't believe college is necessary for everybody. I wrote a book about that. I think they need to be college worthy, but we need carpenters, and we need electricians, and we need mechanics, and we need contractors, and frankly, we need office administrators, truck drivers, and bus drivers, and they don't need to go to college. College isn't for everybody, and with the economy being what it is, I'm sorry, it's not even appropriate for some kids to be thinking about the debt that they're going to be facing. Tech school, military, apprenticeships, apprenticeships are going to be on the increase, And you know work-study programs where you go to college one semester, work-study? I think work-study will become just work. And I think we're going to find apprenticeships developed in careers that have never had true apprenticeships before. And I think it'll be healthy, and I think it'll be good. I don't think everybody needs to have two years of, you know, intro to biology and intro to communication. I really don't. Now, I'm a PhD. I'm an advocate of college, so don't misunderstand me. But I think when I look at how readily available knowledge is to this generation, if they're already dropping out of high school and doing the GED route, why are they going to go to college when they've been trained by the culture to think that the Internet has all that they need? So the only way it's going to work is if we develop the tools and allow them to do some of the tools, like texting in class, appropriately, possibly, along with the teacher that had knowledge. Just asking them to think about that. Yes? Yes? Yes. Yeah. Kids are bored in class or they've got social issues or whatever. It's not working for them. Maybe bullying is a real cause. Maybe family dysfunction makes school attendance really challenging. So some public high schools have put their courses online and you can graduate from the school, but you do it at home. Very, very interesting. So again, I'm not not here to you know, necessarily debate that whole thing, just trying to get you guys to think outside of the box. So I'm absolutely convinced college-worthy is right. Did you all hear me say that? But college-bound may not be appropriate for everybody. And I think those of you that work with 11th and 12th graders in particular, you need to really be resonating with that. You really need to be thinking about that, even the 8th and 9th graders, because if they're thinking, I've got to do four more years of this when I'm done with this, and I don't like this. It's kind of like when we were young and we were told, these are the best years of your life. You know, if you tell a middle schooler today these are the best years of your life and they hate life, they're done. I think it's a cause of suicide, actually. Because, you know, mom doesn't talk to them, dad left, they just got to see in, in general science and their teachers don't know their names. And this is as good as life gets. I might as well quit. You know, so it's an interesting, uh, interesting kind of thing. One of the quotes in one of the books I've read is this Millennials are learning machines that operate at fire hose volume and wither and disengage when offered the eyedropper quantities of information available in a traditional classroom. What's interesting is, one of the gals said to me at break, if you look at the content of a textbook published 10 years ago and the content of a textbook published today, what do you find? A lot less information in today's textbook. Even though what we're saying is they need a lot of knowledge. The publishers have bought the NEA lie that they're not capable. And the teachers want it to be easier for them, so they wanted the text reduced. I could go on and on. Yes, ma'am? That rather than instructing them on, you know, this is the truth. We let them discover it on their own by giving them ideas that they wrestle with, that in small groups they have debates, that they they write a creative essay, that they are required to understand public policy to write a letter to the editor of the newspaper that might actually get published because it's got a a stated thesis and and a foundational argument. And then we grade on whether or not they've constructed it well, is it true, but even if it's false, is their argument well written? That, see, that would be very interesting. So that's, that's where I was going with that. That Ultimately, they arrive at truth. So, But it, rather than the talking head, it has to do with rather than always being the talking head where I will instruct and there saith the teacher, this is the truth, write this down, this will be on the test, I guarantee it. You know, Rather than me doing all of the presentation of the truth, you allow them some freedom to find it. Because that's how the, the technology has wired their thinking. So it's a balance, and and ultimately you still need them to arrive at truth. And that's where we have to be really careful with the sources that we would allow them to use, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I don't have it all figured out yet myself. This is so new. I don't know what's what we're going to do. I think the... I think eventually the publishers are going to have to make some changes in even the way that content is disseminated. Your thought, young lady? Yeah, I think that's great. In ownership, there's something to be said for ownership, right? I mean, even when we've discovered truth, we can own it and we're more likely to be motivated by that and, and to stay in that trench. And again, that's been, that's been good teaching for centuries. I'm simply saying that for this generation that is used to having access to knowledge here, there, and everywhere – What they need help with is putting it all together in a meaningful whole. And let me get to the last point. You guys have been gracious, audience. It says here that millennials need help processing knowledge. That is such a key to what I've been saying today. They must learn why and how. And and here are the the skills that I think they're lacking to sift, sort, synthesize, and share. Um, So here's, here's the concept. Finding knowledge is not hard for them. Now, they might have they, they might have bought the lie that this site is better than that site, and they might be um, lazy because they found 10 reputable books, websites, and blogs that they find, you know, stimulating. But they can find knowledge, are you with me? They know how to find knowledge. What they're not good at, as a generation, as a whole, is discernment, which is my sift and sort, just because I like the S words. They're not good at discernment. They're not good at sifting and sorting people, and they're not good at sifting and sorting ideas. You know, if it's on the Internet, it must be true. You know, if my mom said it, it must be true. If, you know, People Magazine said it, it must be true. You know, if the insider said it, it must be true. So they, they're not good. At, they have all of this knowledge. Back to constructing or instructing. Whether they found it on their own or you taught it to them. They have all these ideas. But their strength is not to sift and sort. They don't have good standards to sift and sort with. Right and wrong? Well, that depends upon the day of the week. Healthy, unhealthy? Accurate, inaccurate? That's not a high value to them. All the way true, somewhat true, somewhat false, all the way false. What are the standards that they would even sort with? What do you think? Does that resonate with you, those of you that have taught a while? The strength is not sifting and sorting ideas, sources, people. I would even help, I would even teach them to sift and sort resources. Is this a blog you should go to? Why or why not? They don't they that's hard for them. They don't want to be judgmental in that way. They think everybody has a right to say whatever it is that's on their mind because it's all about personal relevance. That person had an idea and had a right to say it. Well, yes, they did, and the internet's wonderful for freedom of speech. But just because it's there doesn't mean you need to be reading it. Yeah, but, but I like diversity. I'm not afraid of that discord inside. Remember, teacher? Well, I know you're not afraid of it, but that still doesn't make it right. <laughs> I mean, that's the, I think that's the tension you guys are going to be facing more and more in the, in the years to come. Synthesize is the next word. They're not good at it. They often have details from a variety of sources, but they don't know how to make a meaningful whole. How many of you teach children writing? You don't teach writing, you teach children writing. What I've, what I've heard from a lot of the teachers of English, the teachers who work with writing skills, is the lack of coherence in children's writing today. They'll have idea, 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 idea. They won't have transitional statements, and they won't even have the ideas in a logical sequence. But the ideas are there. So you take off seven points for lack of organization. They're like, yeah, but all the ideas are there. Yes, they are, but if you read it out loud, it doesn't sound like a cohesive, meaningful whole. It just sounds like you found seven ideas from seven different sources and put them in the order that you found them in. So their their strength is not to synthesize and to pull from here, there, and and elsewhere. And you know Smith and Jones say this, and you know Jackson said this, and then I found a third source that said this, and so there appears to be a disagreement. About the yada yada, you know they, they don't they don't know how to how to synthesize. That's a skill that's been around again for centuries. Go ahead. I mean, the thing is, not not, not yeah, good point. Good point. So okay. show them that show them that personally relevant and synthesizing go together. But the thing about synthesizing, we're going to have to reject some ideas as being less necessary. Or less significant or less important, but they love choice and they don't want to draw that line. See, and this is where the the inner tension is going to come. And so maybe you start doing this in small groups. I'm loving the smiles on your faces. I'd love to be out fly on the wall this fall as you try some of this, because this is, there is going to be tension that's created as you try to try to figure this out. And then the next word is share. Um, Because it's all about personal relevance, they don't see the need to share it. And this is a tragedy because they're so bright and they're so with it and they do know so much and they have access to so much. But because it's all about personal relevance and changing the world the way I want to change it, they don't necessarily know the value of sharing with the masses or sharing just in in conversation because, again, it's all about trivial, superficial talk in texting and Facebook. So they don't know that Grandma might really want to know about what they've learned about, you know, the current economic crisis in America or whatever. So sharing has to do with, you know, verbal communication skills of of giving a stand-up speech. It has to do with writing cohesive essays. It has to do with making murals and dioramas and all the different ways that we could creatively – it has to do with blogging. Let let them start a blog if you haven't done that – a junior class blog, or maybe the student council has a blog, and that's how other kids in the school learn what's going on—not just at the school website, but an actual blog that you let them create on WordPress or something that's you know totally free. Um, so one of the one of the um, and then we talked about um, not transmitting like a radio, and we talked about constructing instead. Here's another way of thinking about it: is that you treat students like reporters. Um, and you're the editor. So if you, if you like analogies or if you think that that would be helpful for students, think about, okay, be the reporter and gather information from a half a different sources. I'm the editor and my assignment is that you're going to learn about X and I'm requiring six diverse sources of information that you research from six. And then your job is to synthesize that into a cohesive whole and report it to the masses and you must report truth. They can't report bias. you know, Teach them about persuasion and teach them about bias and some of that old-fashioned stuff. But possibly the student as reporter mentality works where they have to verify and re-verify their sources, just like a reporter. Maybe you even ask a reporter from a, a radio or a TV or newspaper to come into class to the juniors and seniors or the eighth graders and talk about what that's like to have an editor who demands to know what was your source and how do you know that that source is valid. And you teach them some of that good old-fashioned reasoning skills, and then um, they, they publish it with you. So we have covered so much. We're back to you know, what's a millennial Christian look like, um, like us, like Christ, um, like Christ more importantly than us. You know, If we're striving to be Christ-like, then it's okay if, if we model for them and they become more and more like us. So even though there's been challenge today in what we've looked at, and even though there are legitimate reasons that they're persuaded against the faith, perhaps, and that concerns you as a mom and a dad, um, they ultimately can find the truth because the truth is the truth. Um, Look at the references that some of you are packing up. I know lunch starts in a minute. They re-end and lunch starts. That is kind of unfortunate. But I think it's probably buffet again, and you'll all be okay. You're all Okay. Look at the reference list because I'm giving you an amazing gift, the very first thing on there. My favorite current book on this topic is by Scott de Graffin-Reed. It's a free download. He believes so much in this generation that if you go to bigbusinesszoo.com forward slash millennials.php, you'll get about a 70-page PDF free download. Put it in your computer, share it with others, print it out. It used to be a book he would sell. He is a businessman. He is hired by Pizza Hut and Disneyland and call centers around America to work with employers who have to hire millennials to try to make the system work, where they want flexible hours and a, you know, a pay increase every month and all of that. So his book is not about education. He does have some, some insights about education. His book is about millennials and how to make systems work for them. I think you'll find it a fascinating read. Um, He's a great man. I will say that the book is not written from a Christian perspective, but it's a good book. And then I I shared with you my two favorite books from a negative slant. I don't recommend them. I just want you to know that there are people out there who don't think this generation will amount to anything. And you need to be careful of believing that lie. How many of you know this generation is amazing? I mean, they're amazing. They really are going to be very capable of, of impacting for good, especially those who are educated in schools like yours. Um, But know about this idea that they're a dumb generation and then become informed so you can say to the parents in the church and the parents of the kids, no, I disagree with that. You shouldn't have read that book. And then um, two brilliant books that were written early on in 1998 that are so true, it's stunning. If you read those books today and they were written in 1998, you will be amazed at how brilliant those authors are. And then three relevant resources... um, that are very scary. If you've not read Already Gone and if you've not read unchristian, they're not light reads and they're actually pretty um, sad because it's all about why the generation is leaving the traditional church and what we can do about it. I'd highly recommend them to the administrators especially. Kind of know what the generation is doing. So um, I'm going to take your picture. Then I'm going to pray. And now if you guys are looking like this was good, it will go on Facebook. Um... (laughs) I don't post it if you're... Oh, that's nice. I'm not going to get all of you. Are you offended? Okay, one, two, three. Yeah, that's good, I think. Did that flash? Yeah, let's... We'll just do one more over here because I don't want you guys to feel left out because, you know, it's all about being happy. Okay, I think my battery is losing. Oh, shoot. Did you all sign the form? Okay, make sure I get that. Father God, bless these people and help them apply this, uh, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, I know. That's funny. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Just a second. Evaluation, you know, they didn't give me any. So hopefully they're downstairs and you can tell them I was wonderful. (laughs) Or if not, I wanted the truth. I want the truth.